the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal, no way, we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you do not have to. Thank you. I am Ross Blotcher. I'm Carrie Poppy. And we are back to tell you more about the Conscious Life Expo. Yes. It's a gathering of all types in Los Angeles. New age folk. People who wear crystals, Mm -hmm. who love sacred geometry, who ascend to the fifth dimension. People who fix your DNA by waving their hands at you. People who heal you by blinking at you. People who have medical secrets they, some other they, do not want you to know. People who have talked to UFO abductees. People who have been abducted. (laughs) Yeah, that's better, isn't it? (laughs) Sometimes you can get it secondhand as well. <laughs> Linda Walton House Third hand, of it. fourth hand, yeah. no hands. It's an amazing Shangri-La for us. And we spent uh, some fantastic days there. And we've been telling you about them. And we have not had any interruptions in that coverage. Yeah, that's right. I don't know why you'd mention that. Nothing else true. has happened no, on this podcast so. feed. Yeah, not that I remember. So I think the last time we left you, I had just told you about this alien contactee panel mm-hmm. that had our favorite Linda Moulton Howe, uh, classic. Whitley Strieber, author of Communion, mm-hmm. all of these notable folks. Folks, but also Jacques Vallée. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with this guy. Okay, so let me introduce this fellow again. Very tall, mm-hmm. 82. Whoa, he's 82. Yeah. He looks younger to me. Oh, wow. I okay. Mean, I, well, actually, I guess I'm basing that off of his headshot, which could very well be out of date. Wait, let me show you a picture of Jacques Vallée and someone you may recognize. Did he park your car? <laughs> oh, I hope he did one's work as a valet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember this picture. Okay, yeah, 82. A healthy 82, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I Okay, you tell me if this is completely wild or incorrect or sacrilegious, but I would say he almost reminds me of Dick Van Dyke a little bit. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't say they look related or anything, but okay. they're they would go out for the same roles. They're in a they category. Were, they're, yeah, that's a great way act- of saying it. If they were actors, <laughs> if Dick Van Dyke were an actor, he'd go out for the same roles as Jacques Vallée. At least one of them is. So uh, Jacques Vallée, as you might guess from the name, a is French a gentleman who parks your cars, and he's a longtime UFO researcher who has. Real academic background. Okay. Uh, Oh, one of these. He started as a French astronomer. Yeah, and he's someone that everybody in the UFO community really looks up to because they can say like, hey, look, we got a legit one. one." Yeah, exactly. Real scientist. Stanton Friedman fulfilled that role for a bit. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. because he had some nuclear physics bona fides had worked on a nuclear test airplane project we talked about in a previous episode about him. So yeah, you have Jacques Vallée. He's worked at DARPA on the early internet and interestingly enough he also described in his book having worked on the earliest implementations of social media thought oh, that, that okay. was an interesting way to describe his work but what's darpa darpa's really cool it's um the defense advanced research projects agency and uh, it's one of those government projects uh, that just does research on whatever 
you know, just like it funds a lot of different projects <laughs> yeah, okay. just to get science going. Just knowledge. And it's where we got the internet from. The, the oh. earliest network was ARPANET that okay. led to the modern internet. But they continue to produce. It, it's kind of like having a space program just sort of running in the background all the time, coming up with cool new technology that then people commercialize and say, why do we need to give the government money? Oh, right. Sure. A classic move. So anyways, yeah, you know, he's also someone who when he speaks, he sounds professorial, mm-hmm. though, as I've mentioned before, sometimes it's just hard to follow his trains of thought because mm-hmm. the train has many stops <laughs> and it goes in many directions. But, you know, he seems like a nice guy. And that's what I was trying to get out of all of this. He seems like a nice guy. Okay. And full head of white hair and piercing blue eyes. Very long, angular face. In that way, a very similar to Dick Van Dyke yeah. character. And his other big fame to his other big fame to claim, <laughs> claim to fame, is that he was not featured in, but he was the inspiration for a character in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, cool. Okay. That's oh, I remember you mentioning Steven's, this earlier. Yeah, Steven Spielberg was impressed enough with him that he created this character as a French researcher named Lacombe. He should have named him, like, Parking Attendant. <laughs> Kevin parking attendant. It'd be funny if he had an actor play the character, but then he had Jacques Vallée come in the film and park somebody's car. Yeah, there you go. I like it. That's fun. All right. So I've mentioned him already because he was on that panel I talked about, as well as his co-panelist and co-author, Paula Harris. Paula Harris. Okay. She's got a middle name there. Paula Leopizzi Harris. That's how it sounds in my head. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they were leaving late from that last panel, and this talk was going to be about Trinity, the best kept secret. Oh, shit. Okay. The best kept. And you're just going to blow this wide open and tell our listeners? I guess their goal is to make it not the best kept secret anymore. Okay. They're on the side of let's have more people know about it. Right. But let's call it the best kept secret. The so far best kept secret, but not for long. The As of the moment of this publication, the best kept secret. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping that this book gains some traction and then it is no longer an accurate title. Yeah, yeah. Subsequent <laughs> printings will just have less and less impressive <laughs> titles. That would be amazing. Like the third reprinting is like a pretty well kept secret. (laughs) Not even really a secret anymore by Jacques Vallée. Secreter than it should be, ideally. (laughs) Sort of hush hush operation (laughs) on the DL project. I'll give you the same summary that we got from the Conscious Life Expo. Picture this, Carrie. Okay, here we go. In 1945, a UFO crashed in San Antonio, New Mexico. Okay. Now, are you impressed already? Um, uh, Yes. I mean, yeah, a UFO is a big deal. But the year is important here, 1945, because... Sorry, I'm interrupting. World War II? I'm interrupting the copy. I'm not, this is not this conversation is not in the, the booklet. Yeah, World War II, end of World War II, but... Everybody thinks of the first UFO crash as being Roswell. Oh, sure. Which happened in 1947. Ah. So essentially what we're saying here is there was a... Oh, you know what? They do mention that. Why am I giving you this long sidebar? (laughs) Okay. I'll get back to the copy. It was one month after the first atomic bomb test at Trinity. Join Mm. Paula Harris and Jacques Vallée as they reveal the earliest evidence of U.S. government's UFO recovery! Evidence has existed since 1945, two years before the well-known incident at Roswell in 1947. 
Over several site investigation surveys, they reconstructed the historic observations by three witnesses, two of whom are still living, who described to them the circumstances of the crash and recovery of a nearly intact flying vehicle and its extraterrestrial occupants. Oh, wow. They were in there. Okay. By an army detachment. Yeah. See, this is shaping up to be a big deal. Combining their long experience in field research around the world, Harris and Valet have documented the step-by-step efforts by the military to remove the craft, weighing several tons, from where it crash-landed during a storm. Be sure to attend this event and learn about Trinity, the best-kept secret. So there we go. And Paula Harris is listed as an investigative reporter, widely published author. Okay. Her master's degree in education is from Lesley College in Boston. Okay. And Jacques Vallée, here we go. He studied at the Sorbonne and received an MS in astrophysics at Lille University. Hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right. His early writings earned him the Jules Verne Prize for a science fiction novel in French. Coming to the University of Texas as an astronomer, he co-developed the first computer-based map of Mars for NASA, then moved to Northwestern University where he earned a PhD in artificial intelligence hmm. and served as a close associate of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, the U.S. Air Force scientific consultant on unidentified flying objects under Project Blue Book. Okay. Pretty fancy. Yeah, pretty fancy. We haven't checked any of that, but I wouldn't. don't have particular reason to think it's not true. All right, guess who introduced this discussion? You've got two options. Okay, Jimmy Church. Almost. It's Alan Steinfeld. Our buddy. The other guy who introduces everybody. He pumped this up, told us about how important this was. This is a guy who goes around to these kinds of places and does... New agey stuff. He's everywhere. I counted 36 people, at least as this was starting. Three of them were wearing masks. Okay. Again, this was early February. (laughs) Not a 12. Wow. Quick math. I'm like kind of a math person. Well well done. Yeah, thank you. So not that huge of a draw, 36 people. No, it wasn't. And it was a really big room, too. Mm, It was built for more, definitely. So Paula... One of her first comments was that this is being live stream, you know, kind of invoking oh. this larger audience, you yeah. know, like, this is so important. It's so great that we're getting this message out at the Conscious Life Expo. But later on, maybe in a different episode, I'll tell you a bit about the talk I heard in that same room by Whitley Strieber. And he was saying like, well, 10 years ago, this place would be full. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder what he sees as the difference there. It was weird because simultaneously he was trying to make the case that this is more important than ever and... People are paying less attention than ever. I don't know. It felt like he was trying to have it both ways. Uh-huh. That somehow that this movement is growing and yet he's got this empty room. Hmm. You could blame the pandemic, but he didn't. He had some other circuitous route. Anyways, uh, yeah, Paula introduces this and says that really she was the one who started on this case before anybody. Oh. That this was a nine-year investigation for her. Okay. And only a five-year investigation for Jacques. <laughs> okay. She was on the beat. And this was a good thing because one of the two primary witnesses died after she interviewed him. Okay. So so she got the ball rolling with these kind of eyewitness testimonies about this crash and then Jacques got interested when physical evidence of the crash became part of the narrative. Oh, you know what? In a way, we've kind of got a Ross and Carrie situation here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, cool. You could be off on some investigation for like four years and then I'd finally be like, oh, you got something physical? (laughs) Okay, maybe. Let's talk. Maybe we've reached the end of the metaphor, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but more like, I'm liking this picture. Uh, but you know, I mean, yes. like she, he seems like the hard science guy. I get you. Like, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I like it. Okay, I'm superimposing our faces onto them. Okay, go Good. on. Paula also let us know that we were in this very small audience, accompanied by royalty, or Ooh. at least I don't know, royalty adjacent. Harry and Meghan. She said that. That would be so great. You just turn around. <laughs> Harry and Meghan are there. That would be, wow. They're like, we're just really into UFOs. That's interesting. I can imagine so many people at the conference who would consider them lizard people just because they're oh, right. you know, yeah. connected to actual royalty. Yeah. So uh, Paola was saying that a couple years ago, she was contacted by Demi Lovato. Oh, okay. Or, I don't know, the way Paola kept saying it, it sounded more like dummy. <laughs> oh no! It's like, okay. it's like she bridged the distance halfway from Demi to Dummy. Uh-huh, so it's, uh, the way she's saying it, <laughs> yeah. Dem- uh-huh. Demi had reached out because they were interested in aliens, UFOs, and Paula's research, and wanted mm-hmm. to learn more. And they had like a three-hour conversation, and wow. Paula was saying that Dummy's. I, now I'm just saying Dummy because <laughs> it's funnier than Demi. No, no aspersions on Demi. Demi's request was to get books. And so she sent a bunch of books to read up on. So anyways, uh, Demi Lovato was not here, but their mother and sister were there in the front row. Oh, wow. Apparently Diana and Dallas. Okay. So (laughs) Paula had them stand up and wave to the audience. We all clap for them like, yay. (laughs) Demi Lovato's family. And and That's fun. Paolo was just like so impressed that a young person like Demi Lovato was interested in <laughs> aliens and UFOs. And again, she told us, my own children don't even read my books that I write. They oh, just say, oh, you know. Oh, this like, was the same lady. Same lady, yeah. Okay. Oh, we're happy for you, mom. That's great that you're into that. Oh, <laughs> Not interested. Oh, kinda, that's so sad. I kind of want to talk to her kids now. Yeah, definitely. We can find her kids. And then we found out that Paul Hynek was also in the audience sitting right behind them. So Paul Hynek is, again, adjacent because his father was J. Allen Hynek, who is connected to both Jacques Vallée and Paula Harris because Paula had been like a research assistant for him for many years. Okay. For J. Allen Hynek. But J. Allen Hynek is another one of those people who's well regarded within the UFO community. He's now deceased. But he was attached to Project Blue Book back in the day. And he was also considered like a legitimate researcher. Someone worth paying attention to. Uh, No dummy, if you will. (laughs) I I will. And also, he was actually in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, okay. You see him very briefly, but uh, Steven Spielberg wanted to include him. So you you see a little shot of guys kind of sitting in sort of a mission control sort of situation. And he's one of them there. Nice. Yeah, pretty fun uh, alien lore there. So his son, Paul Hynek, uh, got up and everybody clapped for him. He waved to the audience and he said, I have read my dad's books and I've read yours. <laughs> so it was a nice little way to boost her self-worth there. So then the tech folks had been working on getting this little video promo for their book, The Best Kept Secret. Mm-hmm. Trinity, The Best Kept Secret. Yeah. yeah. And so we played that. Uh, yeah, it was just a little dramatic set of pictures related to the site and the investigation. This is a podcast. I can't show them to you. But I'm very excited to show you one piece of this, Gary. Okay. We'll get there. So, okay, let's talk about this 
crash. Yeah. Again, this happened in 1945, and the area was Almogordo, New Mexico. There, there's many different ways to refer to the general area, either by like the military base or the county or the city nearby, but it's kind of southern New Mexico. I checked like 117 miles from Roswell. Okay. West, so it's kind of like lower middle of the state. Okay. And this was the site of the Trinity nuclear test. Okay. Yeah, because that's a name we hear. Yeah, that's a big deal because that was us the U.S. trying out a nuclear bomb yeah. above ground yeah. before it was used in World War II as a weapon. And so the nuclear test was on July 16th, 1945. Okay. And as many may recall, the bomb dropped on Hiroshima that happened on August 6th, right. 1945. So just essentially weeks before the U.S. military used that. Yeah, okay. And so, yeah, this is a well-known site. And of course, this was top secret at the time. So lots happening here in 1945. But that's why this area is significant. And our main characters in this narrative, really the people from whom this whole story comes, yeah. are these men who were boys at the time, Remy and Jose. So okay. Remy was seven at the time, and Jose was nine. Okay. And they lived within miles of that nuclear explosion. Two Disney names. Oh, yeah. Remy, Jose. Yeah. yeah. A rat and a parrot. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> Disney's made a lot of things. Coincidence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Apparently, Remy is short for... Remington. Remigio. Oh, whoa. Okay, cool. Re Remigio Baca and Jose Padilla. Okay. So they're kind of our, our main characters upon whom okay. all of this hangs. Everything you're about to hear is really from okay. their recollections of what happened to them when they were kids. Oh, right. And how old are they? Seven and nine. Oh, no. Seven is just barely how old you are when we can trust you to remember things. Uh-huh. Before seven, like all of your memories are pretty confabulated. And let's start collecting their stories in their 70s. <laughs> you're already okay. you're already sensing the problem. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So, they had personal stories about, for example, like they had stories like one of their moms had seen like the flash go off and was curious and looked out the door and uh -huh. lost vision in that eye. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a story and that's wild. <laughs> that's a story and that's wild. Well, I mean, <laughs> Let's assume that's true. <laughs> right, right. That right. sort of thing could happen. Yeah, sure. Looking at an atomic explosion. Of course, you know, no one was properly warned about this, though uh, obviously the government tried to keep people from actually being within the blast radius. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the brand new thing, this nuclear explosion. So yeah, lots of stories about that. But about a month later, that's when they experienced a totally different event. So this happened on August 14th. 1945, I think that was the date. So almost okay. exactly a month after that nuclear test. The boys say that there was a similar explosion, like something very loud. And they thought, oh, it's happened again. Yeah. But then they go outside and they realize that there's a craft that has hit a tower and then crashed into the ground. So they go toward it. Well, actually, I, I think the, the story was something to do with like one of the boys had uh, been told to go looking for a cow that was about to calve. Okay. And that's how he saw this or was close to this. 
However they got there, there was a, a crash and they came to this site and they found like this deep gouge, like a hundred feet into the earth and a hundred feet wide, like super massive yeah. impact. And then this shape lying at the end of this long crater, it looked like a giant avocado. Ooh. Yeah. So we've got an avocado shaped crab. Delicious. Yeah. Okay. Much better than a... listening. You can't eat a saucer, but you can eat an avocado. (laughs) That's right. All right. So uh, this is the event in question. So Paula was the one who enterprisingly heard about the story from these two men now in their, you know, 70s when she started talking to them. Yeah. And she started interviewing them and collecting these interviews. And she said, no one paid attention to me for four years. But then Jacques came along and now people are interested. So you can tell there's a little bitterness there. You know, she wants to be taken seriously. Did you get a sense of whether she separated them for their interviews or they're just collaborating together? She interviewed them separately from what I can tell, but they've had years to collaborate on this story. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, And I don't think this is... Intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. And the interviews are included in the book or at least in the good chunks of them. Uh, I've got to say she has a very leading form of questioning. Okay, great. Where she's really trying to help you get to... The meat of it. Where she wants you to get to with conclusions. And how did she find them? Like, how did she know they had survived this thing? I don't know. Oh, we don't know. Okay. She didn't say. Okay. In this talk. Um, Seems important. And uh, Jacques Vallée tells us, you don't go to the government because they're not going to tell you anything. You go to witnesses. So this is really the Mm. ideal situation is that we have these uh, witnesses. And constantly throughout this conversation, there would just be little... I don't know, like protesting too much statements where they would kind of remind us like why we should believe these guys and why they're so credible and just what good memories they had. Like, I couldn't believe they remembered my jacket from three weeks beforehand. This guy has a really good memory. (laughs) Oh, he said that the other guy has a photographic memory and, you know, stuff like that, like little nods to just the fact that these are particularly reliable guys. Right, right. Oh, a little parenthetical here. I should mention that Jacques himself said he saw a UFO when he was 15. That helped his budding interest in the topic makes sense as his career developed that would definitely make me interested in it by the way quick aside anyone who's just really into ufo shit should go back and listen to the summer of ufos in 2017 we did a lot of ufo coverage yeah and i should mention while we're talking about that that uh, i had a great interview with tom goodwin of lupine transmissions That's a podcast. We had a conversation about, do you remember that alien autopsy video that came out? They made a really big deal about it in the early mid-90s, kind of when X-Files was in its heyday. Oh, not really. It was on Fox. I remember there being an alien autopsy video, but I thought it was from before that. You should listen to this interview. Okay. It was very fun. Anyways, cut back to these boys. They find this avocado craft, and they're looking at it, and they're telling themselves, hey, we should get a souvenir. And Jacques Vallée went off on this long aside, like, how fascinating that they use the word souvenir, a French word. And I'm oh, thinking like, well, we've we use adopted it into English. Yeah, it's, we use that a lot. <laughs> huh. I don't know, but he made a really big deal about that. Uh, now, does he have a French accent? Oh, heavy. Okay. Heavy French okay. accent, yes. <laughs> I was just, you know, he was like so impressed with this observation. Like, these are the kind of things that you notice when you do in-person investigations. You notice that people are using the word souvenir. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, I guess you should. Sure. You should notice and write down anything they say. All right. So how big are you picturing this avocado? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love it if it's just the size of an avocado and then it turns out to just be an avocado. <laughs> it's like, 
It was like an avocado, but it was like four inches long. Like a galactic avocado. Like three inches wide. Oh, it was delicious in the middle. Okay, I'm picturing it being like eight feet. Okay, picture it even bigger than that. 15 feet. Yeah, there you go. Oh, okay. Right on the money. So it was about the size of two trucks. They said, of course, a lot of thought went into this, but eventually by the time that they made their illustrations of what this could be, they had it at about, I don't know, like 20 plus feet long, but about 14, 15 feet tall. So yeah, big avocado. And they saw- That's a big avocado. They saw that a panel had fallen off of it, so they were able to like- Was it the the panel that you were at the day before? (laughs) (laughs) They were able to see the interior of this object. Okay. They said that they remember it not being like, you know, it's not like plywood or anything like that. This was a real solid object. Okay. And it had come to rest against a hillside, and there was fire all around- Uh, Oh, okay. The brush had caught on fire. Okay. Yeah, because you got like a bunch of mesquite or what have you uh, nearby. So apparently there was also a report, and I haven't looked into this at all, but there was apparently a report from a pilot who flew overhead around that time and said that he also witnessed the fire. So they they thought this was like a big corroboration of the story. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the fire is the most believable part of this. Sure. Yeah. Okay, but there was a panel that had fallen off and they were able to look inside this giant avocado aircraft. Okay. And there were three occupants. Oh, wow. Okay. There were creatures inside. They were short, about three to four feet high. Okay. They had small mouths, heads larger than their shoulders, very large heads. Okay. Long arms. Okay. Two feet. Okay. So, you know. Humanoid. Yeah, humanoid. Uh, I'll just cut to the quick. Whenever they gave more descriptions of it, they would talk about them having kind of like pale skin. It sounded very much like the gray aliens. Okay. Uh, but then one of the boys, when he would hear that, like in the interviews, he'd say like, yeah, I don't know much about these gray aliens, but mm. kind of look like a, like a praying mantis. Like okay. He was kind of describing sort of like a bug. He thought of it as being like a bug-like creature. But okay. yeah, but humanoid. And the, these three figures inside the craft, I get very funny mental images when I picture what they describe here. They said that they were very panicked. They're, you know, upset about this. They're worried. And they would be, I want to say pacing back and forth, but they weren't pacing. They were translating. Like they would just, you know, like Mm. move and float without any kind of like vertical motion. It would just be sort of like drifting one way or another inside this craft. But they look like they're panicked. So like, ah, and it feels very Mars attacks to me the way I'm picturing these three gray aliens inside this craft. Yeah, they're just floating in a panicked way. Yeah, but they're not like running around on their feet like, ah. They're just like kind of zipping back and forth through space. Yeah, okay. Like excited electrons. Now, they don't mention this here in this part of the talk, but in the book, there's this kind of inconvenience that at one point when these guys were telling their story, they described them as looking like fire ants. Oh. Which is very different. Yes. Than what they describe here. So Paula helps them to kind of get to a resolved explanation that, oh, well... Hang on, you've been inconsistent. (laughs) Rather than making that a problem, we'll make it a benefit. Exactly, yeah. So it was like, oh, it was more the, I own some fire ants. Uh, Yeah, I had like a little colony of fire ants and I, you know, it reminded me just the way that they were moving had kind of an energy like the fire ants. That's all all I meant by that. I think these people just found an old avocado and it was covered (laughs) in ants. But a very large avocado. Yeah. Yeah. Huge avocado. Okay, so I I might as well spoil that now. So there was, from a month earlier, there was that 
atomic test. Yeah. And one thing that they had done, the military, was to put a giant metal casing around the bomb so that if the first stage of the explosion happened, but they didn't reach criticality, that the first explosion would be contained and you didn't coat the whole region with plutonium dust. Yeah, okay. So there was this huge metal casing that was called Jumbo. And guess how large... Another Disney name. Guess how large that was and kind of what that looked like. Oh, no. It sort of looked like... 15 feet and kind of the size of an avocado. Strangely enough, yeah. Oh, no. Okay, do they deal with this or is this you just finding this elsewhere? No, it's in the book. They kind of acknowledge, like, that's interesting that it's kind of similar because that thing is now a local landmark because oh, no! they, they they used it in a couple other explosions and at one point it just kind of found its resting place and it was too big and fat and heavy to move so it's just sitting there as like a permanent monument oh my gosh did these two guys go and look of course and... they would have seen it yeah in okay. the intervening years yeah so it's just interesting that the craft sounds a lot like this containment shell that was huh. made for the explosion Wild, right? So they don't even attempt to explain that away. They're just like, it's that's just, interesting. It doesn't get me there. It's interesting. Well, okay. So constantly throughout the book, they will note some inconsistencies. Okay. Like in the stories, like, yeah, oh, that's good. they'll mention, that's interesting. The first time he talked about this, he said there were two trucks that showed up, but now he's saying there's just one, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And I think they'll just kind of nod to that as like, well, hey, we're thorough. Look how yeah. thorough we are. Yeah, and that's good. Good, good for them. But they will... Yeah, sort of leave that in the air, but give you an opportunity to sort of brush that aside with them. Uh-huh. Feels kind of like a work of apologetics in that sense. Like, uh-huh. I've given you a 1% scenario in which we can just sort of disregard this discrepancy. Right. And in some of those, I'm sure that makes sense. Yeah. Like the two yeah. trucks or whatever. But right. Yeah, but it all this ca- seems like a problem. It adds up over time. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember one of the other discrepancies uh, they mentioned had something to do with like the, the color of a tarp. And I guess like... The boy remembered it as blue, and then skeptics said they didn't have blue tarps in that year. Mm. But then Jacques Vallée found out, no, they did. So you know, (laughs) lot of lot of haggling over tiny little details like that. Okay. To their credit, they do mention some of the discrepancies, but you see Paula always working very hard to help smooth them over. And Jacques kind of pointing to like, well, there's just more we need to understand about this. You know, this needs more research. Again, I feel like they're kind of playing it two ways where you're saying we need more research to smooth over these discrepancies. But also at the same time, people should take this more seriously. Hmm, Okay. Like people should take what we've already presented more seriously. Oh, right. Like, okay, uh, this should be the final word, but also this isn't the final word. Exactly. Like, you know, we've made a very compelling case. We know that that there is extraterrestrial visitation. Gotcha. Like, they're very confident about that, as they have stated from the stage multiple times. Yeah. But then at the same time, they'll acknowledge, yeah, okay, we don't understand a lot about this. I see. But wait, there's more. <laughs> it was around this time that Paola mentioned that she doesn't insert her own theories into her interviewing. You know, that she's uh, very sure. objective. I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's good that she's at least 
keeping that standard for herself. Yeah. But uh, you can very easily lead people without meaning to. There was one story in the book where one of the boys was talking about recurring dreams he would have with clouds and lightning. And so she wanted to make that about aliens and nuclear explosions. And you could see her saying like, oh, so do you think that's because of the nuclear like mushroom clouds? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't really think of them that way. <laughs> and she said, okay, but do you feel that maybe that was like the aliens? Like, you feel, like she was trying to like give this idea that the aliens were giving him these these visions, which is totally unrelated to this whole crash. Great. So yeah, she inserts her theories, all kinds. It, here we go again with them kind of giving us reasons to take this seriously, apparently, as they were answering the questions and giving their accounts of the stories. They would switch from past tense to present tense, like they were standing right there. <laughs> so impressive. <laughs> That speaks to an engaged memory. Okay, okay. And yeah, I mean, I do that sometimes. Like, I'll tell a story and then say, and I'm standing there and I'm thinking such and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And just something people do. As Remy is telling the story, apparently he started crying at one point, and Jacques Vallée oh. said, see, this is real stuff. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Not quite how that works. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps, at most, a barometer of his sincerity, maybe. Yeah. And that still doesn't make someone accurate. And we don't even know that it means he's sincere. Right. And we have the problem that they waited 65 years to tell this story. Yeah. So that gets spun where Jacques says, well, clearly they're not trying to make money out of this. You know, that they were just keeping this to themselves and we had to kind of pull it out of them. Okay. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. Or another way is that this memory has changed and formed over time and been influenced by subsequent crash sightings, alien sightings, films, lore. Yeah. The tapestry of life that gets woven together yeah, and, to create our memories. Right, right. And money doesn't have to be your only motivator. I mean, there's lots of reasons people are motivated to to lie if that's what's going on here or to just like go along with things because you think it's a cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so another reason that they knew that these characters were panicked, not only were they translating back and forth inside right. of the ship through this little window of a panel missing. I don't know. It's I love this mental image of yeah. this just panic going so weird. Like drifting back and forth. I picture them with their hands up in the air, but I guess that <laughs> wasn't part of the description. But they were also screaming oh like rabbits oh okay so apparently the boy had heard rabbits scream and yeah, it's the, bad sound the scream coming out of the the craft reminded them of that okay apparently they didn't entertain the idea of like going inside there to help these creatures because their explanation was well if i'd gone in there you wouldn't be talking to me now like i just i knew that was a fatal decision to like try to mm. get into that bad situation Isn't there also fire everywhere see i'm a little curious about that apparently the craft itself was not on fire but the surrounding brush was so okay. I, somehow my mental image has fire inside the craft but i don't know if that's from the actual description that was given so yeah i, I wouldn't bet on that but even if there was just fire around i'd be scared to approach the area Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like one of the first things they teach you in first aid. Check the area. Yeah. If there's one person. bad. Yeah. If there's one person lying down on the ground, you know, like maybe approach and make sure there's no like wires on the ground. But if there's five people lying (laughs) unconscious on the ground, maybe there's like. You could be number six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There could be some gas or something else you're not aware of. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're around Drew. (laughs) 
Hey, Carrie's getting married in just over a week. <laughs> and to the stinkiest man and alive. The fart jokes are so still stinky. going strong. Stinky, stinky. So they go back three days later. Okay. So time eclipses, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine seeing this and being like, well, let's go home. <laughs> what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> Next day. Oh, Do what's you for breakfast? When we saw aliens. Oh, yeah. Should we go back? Not I don't know. Really. Let's look at our calendars. Yeah. Uh, how about Do Tuesday? Do you have homework? <laughs> I know yes. you want to see your alien friends, but... Can I go back tomorrow? No. <laughs> you must wait three days. <laughs> that doesn't sound like human nature to me, but they go back, and now the craft has been kind of hidden in vegetation. There's been some attempt at, I guess, covering it up. Okay. And we're reminded there was no Air Force... Okay, that checks out. 1947 is when the Air Force was created. So it wasn't an Air Force response, but I guess a, an Army response. So, yeah, the object had been camouflaged, essentially. Okay. The boys, I guess, approached the site and could see military presence, uh, but no aliens. The aliens were gone okay. in, from inside the craft. They can't be that worried about this best-kept secret getting out if they're leaving it there for three days. Well, yeah. I know. It's a big metal avocado. You yeah. Know, not easy to move. You're the government. You got this. Well, this is the story of them gotting this. Okay. So you have all these guys, and apparently they see the boys, and they say, no one talks about this, and don't touch it. You know. Oh, cool. Yeah, they get a little talking to no one talks about this so apparently an army captain then came to the padilla family to say hey you know we lost a weather balloon and we'd like permission to pick it up for some reason they need permission to come on the lands with their jeeps Okay. Um, you know, maybe it was a private property or something. I guess they get permission and then they show up with all of these Jeeps. And the idea is they're trying to somehow get this thing up on a platform and carry it off. Okay. Makes sense. So they're calling it a weather balloon? Yeah. This was a laugh line for the audience that the army is trying to call it a weather balloon. Like, ah, oh, they were trying that cover up already. Mm-hmm. Or it's sort of a backdated memory of them mentioning weather balloon. But yes, that's what was presented as the silly explanation that was given I for see. the nature of this crash. Especially because they had to bring all of these trucks and a crane that was also involved in, I guess, getting this. Oh, here we go. 25 foot long object, 14 feet high, no wings. Anyway, so yeah, we have these Jeeps showing up and the boys remember that the Jeeps were playing country western music. So again, incredibly accurate memories. Who comes up with these kinds of details, Carrie? (laughs) Has anybody here bothered to even ask for the government explanation of what was going on? Or are they just not interested in that? Well, as Jacques Vallée told us, you don't ask the government. They're going to dissemble. They're not going to give you real yeah, information. Yeah, sure. But yeah. might as well it, still just see what they say. I, they didn't focus on that in the talk. And I am I must confess, I'm not that far into the book yet. So Fair. I haven't seen any military requests, but... Yeah. I, I'm guessing the answer would have been like, no, we right. this didn't happen. Yeah, but might just be interesting to hear. Like, yeah. they were like, oh, you know, look, oh, we're looking at the date and here's on our records what it says. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would have come up if there was anything yeah. close to that. Yeah. So now they've got the craft. I guess they get it on some kind of large platform attached to a truck and they cover it in blue tarps. Whoa, those don't even exist yet. Right. But Jacques Vallée said that the army did have blue tarps. So I'm going to take his word for it because 
It's inconsequential. (laughs) (laughs) But the boys were still kind of wandering around, even though they'd been sort of told off before. And now they're like, well, we want to get that souvenir we were talking about. Oh, right. Let's get inside here. Ew, the French souvenir. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote here when uh, Jacques was replying to the blue tarp thing, au contraire. (laughs) (laughs) So they get inside and now they see a copper panel. Okay. And there's some kind of like spinning object or a bracket. Racket, like tennis racket? Bracket. Oh, bracket. Yeah. This particular object, I think they thought, oh, we can take this one. You know, this looks detachable. So Jose got a lever and he pulled out this like spinning gadget and boom, they've got something that they can take home with them. Though... In another one of their retellings, they let us know that, oh, they forgot for years, decades, that we even had that. Oh, what? What? Yeah. So wait, they and they found this, so they had already hauled off the avocado. It's still in situ, but it, okay. it hasn't moved yet. But it, now it's on the truck bed, oh, essentially. Oh, and they're just letting these kids go in there and grab it? They were away for a little while, so, oh, you know, it was, it was unguarded. Okay, so then it's clearly not that secret. The kids got inside, and they, they found this contraption they pulled it out and guess what it's a flux capacitor that's a great guess that object still exists okay and jacques valet has it (gasps) that's cool what does it look like yeah or at least they've gotten to touch it and examine it and do analyses of it you know this is jacques valet's thing he loves to research things that came from craft and I have to ruin this for you, Carrie. I know. Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to read this book. I know. This is audio. We'll post a picture. But let me Here's show you. Here's my genuine first reaction. Okay. Okay. Let me show you what this object looks like. And okay. Jacques had a 3D printed, like, exact replica of oh, he this. he couldn't bring it. Okay. That he was spinning around in his hand. But here's a photo of the exact object in the okay, book. You ready for this? A- I think so. Alien. We're looking each other in the eyes. Alien technology. <laughs> Carrie's scrunching up her Wait, face. What is that? Okay. Okay. It's just like a motor part. Yeah. It's a machined piece of metal. Yeah. Looks like part of a very human design. Yeah. It kind of has like a, it almost looks like an oversized key, but that's giving it too much credit. It's not that interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. Co- it's like something that you'd find attached to like, like a tractor or <laughs> yeah, something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It looks like a mechanical piece of something yeah that would would spin but because it would be on a pole and its measurements are neatly in the metric system Uh (laughs) yeah it's like maybe two feet across yeah it's uh, part of it's broken yeah it's okay it's 12 inches long and it's roughly triangular but it's got lots of little like surfaces and shapes and you know it's like an interesting shape yeah yeah i mean the most interesting thing about it is that it lacks a certain symmetry that you expect from an object Mm -hmm. like this yeah it's like a uh, cantilevered or something yeah. yeah so it's a yeah okay it's hard to describe but it's sort of like um there's a central cylinder that looks like it has maybe not a hole going all the way through it but an indentation in it and then yeah. coming off of one side is sort of like a triangular protrusion that ends in another short cylinder and then on the other side is a longer triangular protrusion that has a couple other metal extrusions so yeah it looks like a machine part. Yes, it certainly does. So uh, elsewhere in the book, they boring go, as hell. They go to all this trouble to have it chemically analyzed. You gotta have it chemically analyzed. That's what all these people do. And it's so funny. Like even on the caption for the photo here. 
They call it the silumen bracket. Okay. And, and sil- is that what it's made of? Silumen sounds like it could be like some cool kind of like alien race or technology. It's, oh, I just assumed it was some kind of metal. You're right. It's okay. A, yeah, it's an alloy of aluminum that has sil- oh. a lot of silicon in it. Okay, cool. So, yep, that's what it is. You know, and Things that's, that exist in our world. And are used in aeronautics. Yep. So at some okay. point, these boys found this uh-huh. this metal thing so, and they held on to it. Yeah, this proves that these people existed in time and space. There's no pictures of it, but they describe like another semicircular metal object that was also obtained from the site. And it's also aluminum. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. The U.S. Army's just like, thanks for picking up our trash. That <laughs> thing was broken. Yeah. So apparently Paula had it for two years and she gave it to Jacques Vallée and now it's at a university. There we go. Oh, a university. This I one, wonder which one. This one belongs in a museum. Uh, we mentioned also that one of the men had died. Uh, Remy passed away after... Paula had interviewed him. So I guess then Jose had the bracket and he gave it to Paula, who gave it to Jacques Vallée, who gave it to a oh, university. Yeah, it's a good thing. This is such an important object. It, it also spent two years in a safe deposit box. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a thing. But the the whole time they're having this talk, Jacques is holding this kind of silver painted replica of the thing and just sort of spinning it around in his hands yeah. and examining it, putting it on the chair next to it's him. It's funny. An unnecessary replica is involved in my talk that I'll tell you about. Okay. So this is where they start to say, well, again, you know, this could be, we, we don't know. It's alien technology. It could have been our stuff. It could have been their stuff. Who knows? Who knows? All, all we know is it was inside the UFO. So this is very interesting. And dur- is it though? <laughs> Maybe it's not. During it's interesting that you think it's interesting. In the interviews, one of the boys—I uh, say boy, obviously—he was an old man, like twice my age by that point. But he was talking about how you know there were these, I don't know, like shavings or like this kind of material that was coming off of it that was somehow like that's not human. Like, sure, the rest looks human, but there was something about—I can't even uh, describe it well—but like you know, there's something attached to the okay the object that felt somehow supernatural or not human designed okay. but it's thoroughly human looking uh, apparently there was more stuff uh, that they gathered from the site because there was some kind of fiber material that lit up in purple and yellow and they kept it and they used it to decorate their Christmas tree hmm. so that's cool but that doesn't exist anymore and there was like another piece of foil that was five inches wide and 14 inches long or something like that. And they also used that around the house. Uh, but in recollection, they said it was the kind of metal that restores to its original form. So you'd like bend it and it would go back to its original shape, ah. which sounds so much of this sounds so much like pieces from the Roswell crash and the Roswell story. Oh, okay. That was another thing that was attested at Roswell is, you know, like metal that that goes back to its shape. Uh, anyways, they don't have that anymore either. But just by mentioning that, they feel that they've kind of helped confirm the Roswell case. Because of that description. Because that's how this works. (laughs) So I guess because some of that aluminum foil-like stuff stuck around, there was a younger girl, Sabrina, who was born, I want to say like 10 years after this all happened. Mm -hmm. She remembers playing around with that. And so they interview her, Serena Padilla. I think she was Jose's niece. 
she could give her own testimony of remembering this material that she played around with and visiting that site and seeing like, oh, yeah, it had definitely been burned and stuff. So she was kind of like their third witness, even though. Oh, come on. Yeah, she wasn't around for. Yeah, I guess she at the original least event. validates that they've been talking about this a long yeah. time. Yeah, I think that's like the most useful function she can provide. But as uh, Paula tells us here, you, you can't make this stuff up. You can. <laughs> Absolutely can. Oh, oh, interesting Wouldn't take. take much effort. Also, I'm not hearing anything in this story about the kids being like, Mom, Dad, I saw a UFO. Like, it, it all sounds like it was kind of, we saw a weird thing and then we went mm-hmm. on with our lives and then much later yeah. we came to interpret it that's as all, a UFO. That's always where my mind goes. That like, you know, if you see things this truly extraordinary. If you see something, say something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you just, it changes your life. You yeah. naturally act differently. And yeah, all of this felt like so ho-hum. You know, oh, the, the girl who plays with the foil because she doesn't have any toys. You know, this is uh, just uh, part of her life is that she has this alien technology around yeah. her house. This is where Paula says, I know Jacques doesn't like me saying things like this, but I think the beings knew that we would write this book. (laughs) And I thought you would really appreciate one passage I found in the book here. It says, this is Jacques Vallée writing. He says, who are these emissaries from elsewhere? Once we set aside the deceptive mythologies that have accumulated around the problem, Silly tales of Martian bases and political delusions about Nazi bases at the South Pole. (laughs) Speculation about superior races and the obsession of complicated conspiracies by government insiders. We are left with plain evidence for an unknown intelligence. Mm. But that was, that feels like such a direct hit against the bow of Linda Moulton Howe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little shade. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Totally. Oh, fun detail, not directly related to the crash. But the entry point for Jacques Vallée was that a friend, uh, Ron Brinkley, had invited him to tell him about all of these happenings and the story and what Paolo was up to in 2017. And he invited him to the Owl Bar and Cafe. Oh, my God. In San Antonio, New Mexico. There are no coincidences. An owl connection, of course. Obviously. Of course. Wow. Wow. Okay, so here's a question. Okay. The boys see the aliens. Okay. The boys for- fall in love with the aliens. <laughs> the boys, for God knows what reason, leave. <laughs> Correct. And come back three days later. But, like, the alien bodies aren't there, but the government hasn't come to clean up yet. So, what happened to them? The government has found this. They've started covering it up, and then they're bringing in the trucks. You know, they're yeah. they're trying to get a response formed, but they're not used to this. This is the first crash of its kind. Sure. I guess I'm just wondering, did they clean out the bodies first? See, we don't know. We don't know what happened to those bodies. Uh-huh. That's only speculation. And, of course, yeah. they're happy to speculate what could have <laughs> happened. Did they get whisked away to a army facility? Mm-hmm. Did they get rescued by the other aliens? I don't know. Well, so at this point, they had kind of gotten through the the main story. And now it was time to line up to get books and get them signed. And I wanted to do that. I wanted this book. So I get in line. And it's funny because you asked these questions about the aliens. There was a woman behind me in line who was just very upset about the screaming aliens and she felt like the biggest problem with the story that she really wanted answered 
And the way she was saying it, it's like she wanted me to ask it. I'm like, well, you're right behind me in line. You ask it. <laughs> but she's like, you know, don't you want to know, like, why did the boys not help them out? I said, well, they had kind of a cover story mm-hmm. for that. They were afraid that they would be harmed. They would be dead if they yeah. went inside. And she's like, oh, but if someone's screaming like that, they're in pain. Well, well, certainly on our planet. But well, I don't know. These might be aliens, maybe. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to reason with this lady. But she's just uh, she doesn't like when I throw out something that, you know, is sort of an ex- possible explanation or like what they might say to her. So I think she got bored with me and I tried to like look at my phone. to. (laughs) Yeah, she feels like she's just heard this story of human cruelty that's being spun is just like an interesting tale. And she's having that disorienting feeling of like, why is nobody else seeing this the way I'm seeing it? Yeah, she really wants to get to the bottom of this. Like, all right, well, you'll have to ask Paola. I've helped speculate as much as I can. (laughs) So I get to the front of the line finally and they're selling the book for $20 instead of $24. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. Whoa. All right. So I get a copy and Paolo's pen isn't working. So I give her my American Humanist Association pen. <laughs> uh, so she signs my book and uh, Jacques has already pre-signed a bunch of them. Uh, but he's sitting there as well. And I get to take a picture with Jacques Vallée. Lovely. Yeah. Which but was... not with Paula Harris. The very famous Paula Harris. I didn't. In the back of my mind, I was thinking like this may be my last chance to get a picture with Jacques Vallée. Yeah, fair. But I wasn't feeling that about Paula Harris. So uh, until next time. Paola. But uh, yeah, this is very exciting to learn more about this best kept secret. And here we go. We've exposed it on the podcast. That's it. That's the best kept secret. Two kids one time witnessed a fire. Yeah, and there's just so many extraneous little details. Like, I again, I haven't finished the book, but they talk about other crashes that are kind of unrelated, even like in Europe. Yeah, you got to fill out a book. <laughs> yeah, they're like... Well, all you got is a story of two kids who saw a fire. And there's just this constant refrain of like details that no one needed. Great. Like... Wonderful storytelling ho- technique. Jose's grandmother, like she was well known in the indigenous community. And okay. so you're waiting like, oh, are you saying that there's some connection yeah. spiritually or something no it's just throwing it no, out there why yeah so i i feel like it's much ado about very little yeah okay not yeah. not nothing not nothing but, but very, very little. little so okay one of these guys is still alive you said yeah so jose is still alive we talked to him i mean we could try jose what's his last name padilla jose padilla I bet there's only one. Um, (laughs) Well, there's a criminal named Jose Padilla. Uh, Probably not him. uh, Convicted in federal court evading terrorists. Okay, yeah, probably not him. Jose Padilla, UFO. Born on the edge of ground zero. Oh, there oh. we go. That's that would Remy be him. Remy wrote his own book. Did he? Yeah. What's born on the edge of ground zero, living in the shadow of Area 51. Oh, pff, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. When was it published? Can you see? This says 2011, though Amazon can be a little unreliable for that. We have to check the Library of Congress to be sure. But... Okay. Well, then that timing wise, I think would neatly line up with what interested Paula. So maybe she saw his book mm. and then she went to talk to him. Okay. okay. Yeah. This is all becoming clearer. Interesting. Yeah. Um, much more to learn about this. And, uh, and I'm sure many more interesting details I haven't absorbed yet. So I will keep reading. But I okay. uh, thought you should know about this uh, fun discussion. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. And now whenever you hear someone say like, oh, Roswell, 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 you can be like, Roswell, that's so old hat. <sighs> Everybody knows about Roswell. Let's talk about the Trinity Do UFO you know, crash. Do you know about about the Trinity events, and then they'll be like, well, yeah, and I'll be like, no, not that one. (laughs) The other one. The other one. 
it's much less interesting. <laughs> um, wow. Well, what an event. Thanks for going. You're welcome for going. While you were doing that on the same day, I went to see Dr. Q. Dr. Q? Yes. Oh, wow. That letter. That's getting a lot of action. Yes. I thought that too. Okay, so. Yeah. Is this a QAnon thing? It's not. No. But yeah, this is 2022. Very recently, there was this whole phenomenon called QAnon. I'm saying very recently, like it's over. It's not over. I'm longing for a future in which people are like, what was QAnon? What was QAnon? Yeah, it's just, it's not the letter I'd pick to call myself right now, but maybe he picked it long ago. Avenue Q. True. Great musical. Yeah. But he's doing this talk at 4 p.m. in Century B called Ancient Manuscript About You. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because there's also the proposed Q source. Oh, right. Oh, good point. Tied to ancient manuscripts. Oh, okay. I think I know. I saw like an advertisement for this person's services. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm excited to hear about this. Okay, good. So it was 4 p.m. Century B. There were 18 of us. There was one mask, mine. Wow. Yeah. Okay. One out of 18. So that's even worse than the- quick math. (laughs) That's worse worse than the ratio in my room. Yeah. Wow. Pretty bad. Okay. But his full name is Dr. Q Moyad, but he just goes by Dr. Q. And he's this tall, handsome, I think white guy. And he has this very slick- presentation like Mm. you're very much in the hands of like a very confident salesman okay and he's smooth operator yeah and he's real good at it okay you don't i don't know i didn't feel like i was being sold a bill of goods even as i was thinking i'm definitely being sold a bill of goods he just had a really good presentation that's a that's a real skill yeah very casual but you know knows his stuff he's not trying to get you to buy this but here's what it is just a cool guy sharing a cool thing mm -hmm. okay so he is with the indian palm leaf reading institute the ilpri the famous ip Iplery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just rolls right off the tongue. There's a woman named Maura there who introed him, and she said that she has had friends who used to service and they got very impactful readings. Wow, that sounds worth at least $20,000. <laughs> and as she's saying this, and she's not going on long, he kind of stops her and he's like, I have quite a lot to say. <laughs> like, let's wrap it yeah. up, lady. Um, I know you're saying nice things about me, but get the fuck out. <laughs> Okay, so she, she of course, is like, oh, yes, sorry, okay, and takes her seat. <laughs> so Dr. Q gets up, and he says, I'm Dr. Q. That's not a stage name. I'm an actual PhD, and I have two master's degrees. But what I want to know is, do you have an actual last name that starts with Q? <laughs> well, his last name's Moyad. <laughs> <laughs> So the Q doesn't sound legit. I assume the Q is for his first name. I, I spent... Not as long as I could have, but I did spend a good half an hour <laughs> trying to figure out what the Q stood for. Quincy, Qbert. Right? Yeah, just like, let us know. Just tell us. Tell us the deal. Quentin. Couldn't find it. Not many Q names. I'm sure I could if I spent more time, but finally I was like, what am I doing? Okay. Um, <laughs> so he says, I've been to so many classes because, you know, I got my PhD and my two masters. Sure. I hope that I'll just be entertaining. I don't want you to be bored like I was in class. I- <laughs> and then he said, I'm just an average white guy. I'm not Indian. I grew up in Iran. I grew up in a Baha'i family. That's not the average white guy. <laughs> no. I fled to Austria in 1979. Because, oh, that's common. Because, <laughs> because the Chernobyl cloud had dumped its shit over my country. Wow. Yeah. 
And he had, he says he had three years in a hospital from cancer as a result of the Chernobyl disaster. Oh my goodness. I know. Hmm. Okay. So after his three years in the hospital, he visited John of God. Oh, the great. Fa- the, yeah, the spiritual healer. Ross's eyes just glaze over. Um, the spiritual healer in South America. And he got all kinds of healing from John of God. But then he got really sick again. And he went to the hospital. <laughs> you are healed temporarily. <laughs> yeah, of the thing you came here for. Mm-hmm. So he got very sick again. He went to the hospital again. And his girlfriend told him to get a palm leaf reading. And you know what his reaction was, Ross? Uh, he was skeptical. He was skeptical at first. He was like, he was that sounds like nonsense. Just as skeptical as you are. Now, wait a second. Not a palm reading, a palm leaf reading. Palm leaf reading. Okay. That's right. Okay. He got this reading and it was so mind blowing that he had to share it with Americans who will never get to India. Mm. So he lives in India now, um, but he's aware that most of us will never get there and he kind of does a quick straw poll you know who's been to india who's even been around india anyone been to pakistan you know a few people are like nepal or whatever (laughs) um see most americans never even go to india their whole lives and you're missing this amazing technology that's ages old you don't have palm leaves you only have straw poles (laughs) exactly so he gives us kind of an idea of what a palm leaf reading is now had you ever heard of this no okay i haven't looked into its heritage or like how common this is but he contends that there is this system in which all of these palm leaves which are like reeds off of a palm plant um they have been etched with ancient holy writings and they've been found and collected by various scryers and they have the history of most human beings predicted on these palm leaves so somewhere in india there's a palm leaf with ross blotcher's history on it that was written well before you were born okay because at first i was just thinking okay you find a palm tree and Uh you grab a leaf and you you know you do some kind of divination but these are like special pre-inscribed palm leaves that have the secrets of the universe written on them. Yes. And And, kind of an Akashic record kind of thing. Yeah. Book of Life. It has every person. Almost every person. So he does tell us not everybody's in it, but most people are. And I want to know who the poor people are who don't make it into the palm leaves. I feel like that needs to say something about you. Totally. It's like rejected. the person who doesn't get their miracle at Rhythmia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he's explaining this and this guy in the audience raises his hand and he's like, I just have to say, I have to say, I'm sorry, Dr. Q, I'm sorry, but I'm such a big fan and like, I got my palm leaf reading and I was blown away. I was blown away because... And I'm not a paid chill. Because no, I, I actually think you wasn't. I think you really was okay. into this. He was like, because you guys, they said... That on my palm leaf, it said, I would like piano, guitar, and violin. And those are the only three instruments I've ever played in my whole life. And I'm thinking, yeah, those are the most common instruments in America oh, would play. Okay, but I have so many questions about like... <laughs> how many palm leaves there are and how small this writing is and does everybody get their own leaf he, he's making it sound like he has a leaf just yeah, for he him has a leaf. there's billions of people yeah okay all right carry on so here's what you do you submit your thumbprint to this company 
Dr. Q's company. And if you're, I believe it's if you're male, you send your left thumbprint. And if you're female, you send your right thumbprint. He didn't go into any other if you're neither. gender options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send your butt. I don't know what he does then. <laughs> this is definitely a binary system. None so, of this is adding up, but okay, keep going. <laughs> so you submit your thumbprint uh-huh. and they see if there's a palm leaf for you. But that take Ross, that takes so much time. Yeah, you gotta scan the billions of lines of etchings. Who, who is, did this etching? Did, have they taken photographs of this? They, oh my God, we'll, we'll get there. We'll okay, get there. Okay. okay. So there's- so um, many questions. Yeah, remind me of these questions if I fail to get there, but okay. I plan to get there. <laughs> um, so the palm leaves were originally written by like these holy men, hmm. and then they were passed down through their descendants or maybe their students. It's an all-male enterprise. He mm-hmm. specifically told us if you get one from a woman, she's a fraud. <laughs> like all the real ones are men. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Great. Let's hear it for the boys. Um, and <laughs> somehow they they look at your thumbprint, which of course is not words, and that they're able to like divine something from that 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 helps them go through this library of various palm leaves and find yours. Yeah, I I felt like there are steps missing there, but uh-huh. he seemed to think that like that clears that up. Yeah, there's some sort of system, some lookup system. But yeah, how do they even know how to do that? Okay, this is yeah. really weird. So he said that in India, it's called naughty reading, N-A hyphen D-I, naughty reading. Oh, um, naughty. Very naughty. Okay, and then he brings out this like, beautiful little bundle of palm leaves and it's like yeah it's really cool it's like taking them outside of india right okay so there's like probably 15 in his hand and it kind of looks like you know the kind of fan that you spread open that's just connected at the bottom Mm -hmm. and you know if you've ever held like an old one the slats will give first and so some of them will be disconnected at the top but Mm -hmm. connected at the bottom so it felt like that but it's like this really old beautiful etching and he's like yes I brought some and I'm going to pass this around and he very delicately unwraps it. And then he says, now this is made of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's wrapping it? No, the whole thing. What? <laughs> and Carrie's got it here. He let you walk out with it? No, no, I didn't steal this one. Um, so I'm just he's, kidding. He's, he's, he, uh, he's like, it's made of plastic. And he says, uh, because I I used to bring around the real thing and I would tell everyone, like, it's hundreds of years old, you know, yeah. be really careful, be really careful. And then right away, they'd break it. And I thought, like, this never happened. This mm. absolutely never happened. Okay, so this is a plastic replica of yeah. what? Okay. okay. S- supposedly. He passes that around. He keeps telling us to give it back to him, give it back to him. I'm like, okay, I'll give you your plastic back. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me see if I have a picture. Sure, I'm pretty sure I thought to myself, Ross will want a picture. Yeah, I, I do want the visual. And I'm really curious to know, like, if these are etchings where someone's just used, like, a blade to scrape away, or if there's ink that's being added. Is this subtractive? Is this additive? Uh. How are they creating these markings? <laughs> and now I'm thinking in terms of if you are cataloging the lives of billions of people, that's information that has to be encoded. And so every person is going to be represented by multiple lines and i'm thinking about how long it takes these holy men to create the lines Mm -hmm. and i'm dividing the length of time that it takes to create such lines by the length of their lives and how many people are doing none of this seems possible so i think 
I'm having trouble remembering if he actually said this or I just got this impression. Okay. But I did walk away with the impression that many people could have the same palm leaf. Okay, that somehow there's overlapping and you can use the same material. That it's sort of like the Zodiac, except that we have thousands instead of 12. Okay, that makes a certain sense. And I'm also kind of picturing this being maybe something like the Bible code, where you have some way of sort of linking little disparate pieces of information, saying, aha, it said that you are interested in the piano and the violin. Right, perhaps. If you read it backwards and skip every third, character. I think we might be dealing with something even lazier than that, but maybe. Oh, here is the plastic reproduction. Oh, okay. Carrie does have a picture of it. Interesting. Okay. So those are plastic, but they're supposed to be palm leaves, like little little fan sections. Okay. So yeah, the end result is that you have something that looks like maybe an inch to an inch and a half wide by maybe a foot long, kind of fans out, but it's held together by this cord that runs through the center of these things. And each one of these slats, blades, has one, two, three, four, five lines. And there's sort of a script that's written on them. And it it looks like it was like a blade cutting into it. Yeah, that's the impression I got is that you dig into it while it's fresh and then it dries and then that part is darker. And it it holds that uh, shape over, over centuries. When did they say this was all done? Oh, How ancient are these ancients? Great question. I don't know if he said. um, I don't know. Um, Alt. So he tells us at this point that there are real palm leaf readers and there are fake readers. And he doesn't want you to get caught up with those fake readers, okay? The fronds. (laughs) And there are only male readers. (laughs) Yeah. In his in his system, because they're very traditional, and that's how it really is over there. And he said, only academics have access to some of these palm leaf libraries. But he, Dr. Q, is mm. an academic, so he could create this company okay. to give you know this to the wider world. <laughs> so they're okay with him commercializing it. Right, I guess so. Okay, so this answers your question, Ross. There are 108 thumbprint names. 108 thumbprint names. Oh, we've encountered the number 108 yeah. many times. Yeah, very, yep. very holy, very significant. Also, the number of stitches on a baseball. Which also means you really only need 108 palm leaves, so... I mean, you would think this one company would just have a monopoly on it at that point. Yeah. Huh. Or, goodness, like... Or someone... they'd all just be online. Exactly. Yeah. Like That's my first thought. If this is an ancient manuscript of any worth or note, that there would be a project to create high-resolution scans, yeah. images, and make them freely available online. Uh, Maybe they are. I've given it no attention. It Um, it could just be that the interpretation is so arcane and difficult. Only men can do it. (laughs) 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 Only men are interested. Um, (laughs) uh, Okay, so you give your thumbprint... They look with a microscope at your thumbprints. They yeah. figure out. Have you heard of a microscope before? It's this thing. <laughs> no, tell me. <laughs> That's the way you said it made it sound like microscope. a microscope. <laughs> they find your thumbprint name. Again, I need more information on yeah. that step. Yeah. They look for a bundle with that name. Okay, and then he says 80% of palm leaf readers are fake. But not his. (laughs) That's funny. That's the same amount as the number of statistics that are made up off of the (laughs) top of one's head. 
Well, do you know how you can count on his palm leaf readers being the real thing? Okay, well, we know they have high testosterone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That he's trained them. He has a special training workshop no, this seminar. is something you can observe yourself. Oh. How could Because they tell? use your DNA? Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, what, how? Because it takes weeks to do. Oh, okay. Sure. Some of these other places, they give you such quick results. But you'll see, when you send your thumbprint into him for a while, you'll think he's forgotten about you. It's funny, like, I don't think there's a name for that fallacy. (laughs) Because no one ever uses that, but like... It's, it's like, somewhere along sunk costs. Yeah, the fallacy of really hard work. Yeah, this yeah. took us a long time. Or just like, I, the, yeah, they might not even be working. The delay fallacy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, what does that mean that they're working on it all the time, sixteen hours a day? Still... It's like, well, then you're just gonna have the same problem as more requests come in. So, are you working on them concurrently? I guess. Yeah. What about the process takes so long that we should be impressed with the fact that it took so long? It takes weeks to really find the bundles. Yeah. Explain this work of weeks. (laughs) Yeah. There's only 108. So it has to be weeks of you sitting over my thumbprint with a microscope, I guess. I mean, I don't want to spoil this if you're saving it, but how much does this service cost? Oh, good question. Oh, yeah. Here it is. $100 for the search. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about $100 for the search and $400 more for the reading. Okay. And I remember I'm explaining this now. It's because if you spend the $100 and they can't find your thumbprint, you're not one of the people who's on the 108 Oh, and then you don't have to pay for the reading because you didn't get it. Yeah. But what a great little system for them. They could yeah. just be like, oh, you don't have one. Well, I'm just thinking if the search costs $100, well, that's how much it's worth to them at a maximum. And so I'm just thinking of like the the hours required. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say they're paying somebody 20 bucks an hour mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. All right. No way, but uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's a five-hour search, you know, yeah. if you're paying someone $10 oh, right, an yeah, hour. Where that's... are all these weeks going? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, so he was like, it's going to blow you away. These are the kinds of things you can know. It's going to tell you your mom's name. It's wow. going to tell you your dad's name. Okay. And I started to just be like, oh, you're, you're Googling look me. this up. Yeah. You're Googling me and you're really bad at it. And it takes you weeks to get like, you know, some newspaper clippings and shit and try to pull <laughs> up a good hot reading on me. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to pay you $500 for that? Well, the thumbprint gives you a very special name, so you'll also get to know your real thumbprint name, which, honestly, that's kind of a big selling point for me. And what what information do they use from you? Well, I mean, when you buy it, you tell them your name. Okay. But all you send them is your thumbprint. Thumbprint. Okay. Huh. (laughs) Um, Also, your thoughts, beliefs, and actions are all predicted. And of course, these are all things that only you know and can confirm, but you already knew them. Right. But it's telling you things you already knew about yourself. Is there any component of new information? Um, I mean, now you know that you're included (laughs) in the great book of Frond. Yeah, good point. I know my mom and my dad's name. Oh, you know what? We will get a person who got new information. Okay, okay, good. All right. That'll be our big reveal. But that's always something to watch for when dealing with divination. You know, are they actually giving you information that tells you something? 
something new or are you just confirming things that make them feel good about their abilities? Right, right. So at this point, I made a note that he kept saying, I don't know what he was talking about, but he, I think he was trying to basically say, oh, and I got fucked. But instead of using that expression, he'd say, I got raped. Oh, no. Yeah. So he said it three times enough that I like wrote it down. Okay. Um, he had an Austrian accent, so possibly misunderstood, but it would be a story about like, you know, well, I tried to go get a palm leaf reading and I got raped. And I was like, oh, that's not how we use that. Yeah. That's not how we use that, sir. Uh, that reminds, you should know. That reminds me on your bachelorette uh-huh, party uh-huh. recently. Similar thing. <laughs> we were given a nice tour of Idlewild, <laughs> except that Beautiful. the tour guide just kept showing us in this book like look how the trees got raped yeah he kept using that word for like the uh yeah, felled or raised or whatever they, they raped nature yeah like, he kept saying it stop like, saying that maybe you just use a different term <laughs> we use that for something else in this language we get it it was bad but yeah. um so anyway similar visceral, thing happening here visceral response yeah okay uncomfortable so he said also you might get nutritional advice when you get your reading okay which also honestly seems a little these rude ancient scribes really wanted you to <laughs> cut yeah. down calorie right or are like Count. when carrie is specifically 38 she's going to need <laughs> vitamin d <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. much foresight is impressive versus just absurd? Yeah, exactly. Like, why would these ancient scribes know anything about or care anything about your thirty-eight-year-old? Yeah, needs. Yeah, uh, and apparently you connect with your palm leaf reader like via Zoom or some other conference platform okay. and can see them reading the leaves in front even though it takes so long to do well i guess they need to find your connection so they know which part to read i guess so and they'll be like we need to reschedule because someone else is reading your same blade well i (laughs) guess they have reproductions of these yes they're not all using the originals i yeah so weird yeah very strange system i mean sounds really fun yeah but yeah it taking weeks i think at one point he said up to six months but that's like on the outside whoa okay yeah and then he said also at the end you get uh you'll get homework usually to perform a ceremonial act that's really important to your spiritual growth so this one woman in the room she raises her hand and she's like i got one i got one i was told to feed a cow and a baby cow at the same time okay and he says oh and did you do it and she says I haven't been able to yet. It's hard when there are no cows near you. Yeah. Notable quotable. (laughs) Bumper sticker. It's hard when there are no cows near you. (laughs) So I'm interested in these people who have already paid for the service, received it, and yet they come to this conference and they attend to talk about the service that they've already used. Yeah. They're just that big of fans. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to picture myself doing that. I love it. Interesting. I spend $500. I get homework. Okay. Right. Then he asked her questions. I asked him. Oh, no, I don't think he did ask her questions. I think he was just quiet enough that I raised my hand. And I asked him about his PhD. Like, what? so what's it in? Yeah. And he said, it's in academic law. I almost became a lawyer, but that wasn't my calling. What does that have to do with this? Don't know. All right. Then I asked if the thumbprints, I was like, so thumbprints are identical twins. Do they have the same thumbprint? 
And I wasn't sure. I really d- mm-hmm. didn't know. And he said, no. Yeah, I don't believe they do. Okay. Yeah. He just said, no, like that. And then just like blinked at me like, I'm ready for you to finish your question. Like, I, like, I, well, have, okay. I, I actually have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just like, oh, okay, well, you see where my mind's going here. But yeah. no, okay, you're just going to blink and stare. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So then that's when he told us the cost $100 for the search, $400 more for the reading, but it supports two orphanages and a daycare. He does not do this for the income. Wow. Okay. That's always such a weird tact. Well, then, you know, why not let me give to the charity of my choice then? I'm, yeah. At the same time, you know, I, I like that. And if it's true, if he's yeah. actually giving oh, some yeah. of the money to a good cause, great. Good. Weird that you're kind of bundling that in this mm-hmm. cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's another me, but I get you. So their website is IndianPalmLeafReading.com. And because my wedding is coming up, because we had a lot of work to do on the show, I was not able to do the very obvious test mm-hmm. that I would have loved to do. So I want to put this on our listeners. This okay. I think this is the first time I've ever suggested this, but like I would love if a couple of our listeners step up and do this very easy test, switch thumbprints. Ah, yeah. Two of you who are friends, switch your thumbprints, send it with the wrong names and see if they Google the other guy. Easy peasy. Such an easy test. So if anybody's into doing this, please tell us, and then tell us how your experiment went. We'll talk about it on the show. Okay, cool. Yeah. And especially, it'll be great if you waste 100 bucks and they say, oh, you're not in there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but you asked, is there like imagery of people actually reading the palm leaves? Mm -hmm. And I did look for that. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about the level of training. Right. Yeah, how do you learn to read this scratch? Yeah. This is, it doesn't look like a very clear writing form yeah i was waiting to see pictures of you know people pouring over them and reading them yes i see pictures of the people and i see pictures of the palm leaves and i don't see pictures of the people with the palm leaves like here he is with a group of people who look like they live in india and are of indian descent but they're all just looking at the camera no one has palm leaves yeah there's no palm leaves on the wall behind them yeah there's many other things on the wall interesting now he has a whole youtube channel and maybe it's in there and I'm just totally missing it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there was something about that where I was just like, I just feel like even if you were going to use the decoy, I would think I would make a video of someone like, Looking at it and being like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I think that's Carrie. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, scrunching up their face a little Katie. bit yeah. with the effort. Yeah. Although now that I think about it, if there's only 108, do 108 people have the same mom and dad? How is this working? Well, it sounds like there's 108 and they get you started on one of these blades. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe then there's different answers that you can get for different people on each blade. I don't know. Oh, uh, maybe. Oh, that might be right. Actually, now that you're saying that, that's ringing true as maybe something okay. you said. But even in form, these remind me a little bit of... Nostradamus's quatrains, mm-hmm. just in that, you know, there's like five lines and it's of a limited amount of length, you mm-hmm. know, that you have to extract very complicated meaning from. Yeah. Uh, this is just profoundly weird. Profoundly weird. That's right. Anyway, that's it. Okay. Dr. Q. What an interesting character. Yeah. He's also started a number of other companies, you know, life improvement companies and things. This is just his latest latest thing okay well dr q if you're out there i would love to talk to you sure that's our guarantee to you Mm -hmm. you hear this you want to come on the show we'll talk to you oh absolutely okay well uh thank you for telling me about that 
You're welcome. Now oh, that's it for our show. But guess what's coming up, Ross? Oh, I'm guessing I'm guessing we might take a little break because you've got a wedding coming up. That's right. I'm attending a wedding. <laughs> yeah, I will attend the same wedding. Okay. But in a different capacity. Okay. I'm the bride. Whoa. If anyone wants to see our wedding website, it's drewcarryshow.com. D-R-E-W-C-A-R-R-I-E. Yeah, very lovely. Show.com. Made on Squarespace, right? Yes, it is. That's right. I built it beautiful. But yeah, so as a result, Ross is also in the wedding, so we're busy, okay? So we're taking two weeks off. But guess what's coming after that? Max Max Fun Fun Drive! Drive, The greatest time of the year! So all kinds of exciting things happening. We'll be giving you all kinds of updates on fun things we did for last year's Max Fun Drive and fun things we're doing for this year's Max Fun Drive. That's right. So this will be the best time to support us and what we do. Mm -hmm. And our future investigations, of which there are many and exciting ones. Of which there are many and exciting ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another Mm -hmm. bumper sticker (laughs) waiting to happen. (laughs) I can't wait to tell you about where I'm going next month. Oh my God, that's already next month. Yeah, actually I need to buy my plane ticket still. But oh my gosh. You, y'all are going to love this. Okay, well, let me tell you where I'm going next month because it's not a spoiler. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to the Galapagos Islands. You know how to spell Galapagos? Yes, I do. G A L A P A G O S. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going there for my honeymoon. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's truly cool. I'm I'm envious. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'll take videos. I'll take pictures. Don't worry. It'll be like you were there. Sweet. And in the meantime, so while you're waiting for us to, to come back and, and give you some Max Fun goodness, you can also support us by telling a friend about the show, mm-hmm. getting them excited and telling them you have two weeks to listen to the whole back catalog, mm-hmm. and then you'll want to support them at Max Fun Drive. Exactly. This episode was administratively managed by Ian Kramer. And the theme music of which was played is written by with Brian Keith Dalton. (laughs) And we already told you how to support us. So remember. Namaste. Thank you for your interest in Indian palm leaf readings. My name is Dr. Q and I am the co-founder of our institute. The very first Western-based institute of its kind. For your safety and security, we conduct all of our readings via a live video conference call, connecting you directly from the comfort of your home with our readers in India. It was my very own mind-blowing reading that I had several years ago that got me to where I am today, bringing you the ancient and powerful wisdom of palm leaf readings. Allow me to walk you through the process of palm leaf readings and explain to you what you can gain from a reading. In essence, there are three reasons for reading. Firstly, to lead a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life based on the information that's given to you in your palm leaf. Secondly, to clean your karma, past life karma, if you have any. And last but not least, to lead a life that is in alignment with your soul's purpose. These Palm leaves were written about two to 3,000 years ago by Maharishis in India. Maharishi means great sage. They were given the power of foresight by meditating to Lord Shiva. And these messages were written for specific individuals onto dried palm leaves, also known as Nadi. Hence, we call this type of astrology Indian palm leaf reading or Nadi reading. 
Did grad school ruin your reading habits? Oh my God, all those books you had to read for grad school. Did becoming a parent destroy your ability to focus on a book? Did the pandemic tank the number of novels you can get through in a year? Ugh, that happened to everyone, and we're Reading Glasses, and we're here to help. We'll get you out of a book slump, dismantle all that weird reader guilt. Which we know you have a lot of, but most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. <laughs> wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.